Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Um, So good to know, even tonight, as this world, you know, you look at the news, and it seems to be no good news, only bad news, according to the world. But we have this blessed hope for us as Christians of heaven, and heaven awaits for those people that have put their trust and their love on Jesus Christ. So for us, no matter how dark it gets, there heaven awaits for us. So let's pray, and let's get started. Uh, glorious Father in heaven, uh, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, asking you, Lord God, to have mercy upon us, upon our souls. And I pray, Lord God, that even as we ask for repentance, for our many sins, I pray, Lord God, that you would just wipe the slate clean. Even tonight, Lord God, of our wrongdoings, of our sinful behavior, Lord. And we ask you, Lord God, that even tonight, Lord, that you will restore the right spirit within us for us to be able to glorify you with our lives. As we give our lives unto you, as a sweet-smelling aroma, Lord. So we give you thanks, Lord God, for your precious Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God that convicts us, that transforms us, that challenges us, even as we, uh, Lord God, desperately need to be touched by your Spirit, even tonight. So give us ear to hear what the Spirit has to say within our lives, Prepare our hearts, our minds, and our souls to receive the manna that you have in store for us as we study your word. So bless this night. Send your angels to charge over this property, even the parking lot ministry outside, even the children's ministry, even the ushers, even all the servants. They are serving you sacrificially, Lord. I pray that you will bless them. So be with us, Lord. We love you. We give you thanks. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, since the TV is hard to watch, even today, me and my wife, we started watching HGTV because they got a, a lot of good shows there. I used to work in constructions. I was a developer for many years. So when it comes to building houses and even foreseeing what the house is going to look even before it's finished, you know, it, it takes like a vision even as we have people here in the family that are architects and designers and engineers. 
to be able to see the finished product beforehand is, is a gift from God. So even as we got hooked up with this show that is called Restored, and it's this man called Brett, and this man, what he does is he specializes in old houses, houses that they were built in the 1800s and 1900s. And what Brett does is he has a gift as he begins, to, you know, he gets invited by the person that purchased the home to come in and, and just bring back the house the way it was when it was first built. So bringing the house back after many different stages of remodeling, but now this owner has decided to just go back the way that the architect designed it, the way that the engineer put it together, and the way it was at the beginning when it was firstly built. And that's so true when it comes to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. As I entitle today's teaching, Fully Restored, Serving the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ as the designer, as the engineer, even back in the garden, he began this work to build the humans, humanity, and what it was back in the garden. But decay came in as termites, as rot, you know, things that get rotted. And it came in through sin. So there was a separation between the designer God and his creation. So what Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they had a meeting there in heaven. It says we got to bring back humanity and the way it was designed back to the original how it was in the garden. And that's when the plan came through God the Father that Jesus was going to be the mediator as he was going to descend from heaven into an earthly realm to bring and make a bridge between God the Father and his creation, which is us. So, for us to be restored, as God looks at us that he cannot look at sin, now he was able to make a way to look at his creation and be able to commune with them. So there is work to be done. As every old house, even bread, as he starts working on the house, when he goes into the demolition process to take away the things that do not belong, and he looks for clues, and he does research to see the details of how the house was built back in the 1800s and 1900s, there are clues, there is things that they point him to go back and redo this house. And so does God, through his word, he takes us back into the way and he points out things within our lives that we need to get done in order for that restoration process to take place. 
in 1 Corinthians, there's some scriptures that I'm going to read, write them down. And if you can get there, we'll get there. So there's some scriptures that I'm just going to give you as a springboard to get into tonight's teaching. So for us to get to see this reality that God is restoring us and is preparing us, not for this world here, but the restoration that he wants to do within our hearts is not for here and now, but is for eternity and heaven. But the work and the restoration process begins here on earth. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Or do you not know that our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you, who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So as we looked at this temple, this temple is my body. The temple that we have is, it was God's because he created us. But this temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom God bought us at a price. When we buy a house, we have to pay for it. So it's not given to us free, but we have to go look for it and buy it. And buy it. So Jesus did the same, you know, he bought us at a price. And it was a very high price. Because the price that God paid for us and the redemption within this house, it was through his son, Jesus Christ. So it cost God his son. As a, as a payment for this temple. So how do we possess this temple? How do we look after this temple? This temple was bought at a very high price. So when something is, you know, bought at a very, very high price, then it becomes priceless. So before God... You are priceless. You are priceless because you, you were bought at, a, at, at the highest cost that could ever be. And in Romans 8, in verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings at the present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnestly expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fluidity. That means uselessness. Not willing, but because of him who is subject, it is in its hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know 
that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So creation itself, creation itself groans and waits for this great thing that is going to take place when the Lord God Almighty redeems us and takes us to heaven. So we ourselves, we have as children of God, we have this glorious liberty. We are no longer in bondage, but we have been set free. Even as Amanda sang, free, free, we're free. Have you experienced the freedom from God? The freedom from bondage, the freedom from sin. This freedom, it, it, if you have not experienced this freedom, what I ask you is, have you fully surrendered your whole life, everything that you are, to God the Father? You have said, Lord, take all of me. I surrender all to you, Lord. And, and just submerge yourself under this beautiful grace and mercy that he offers. When we do that, that's when we prepare, you know, ourselves to not for the here and now, but we get ready for heaven and eternity. Because that's when God begins to do his rebuilding process. He starts building this, he's going to do this demo, but he's going to start rebuilding our lives in order for us to be able to glorify him. With what? With this temple. With my life. So let's pick up there in, in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Let's read a couple of verses and then we'll partake and break them down. Verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And set your minds on the things above. Not only the things of earth. For you die, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our lives, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, we ourselves, we have to have this mindset that our minds, we want to be raised up with Jesus Christ. As we see the power of the resurrection, as Jesus was raised from the dead, we will also be raised up 
into the sweet resurrection that we get from the Lord Jesus Christ. In our minds, as we get raised up with Christ, we need to start focusing on heaven and our final destination and our home. And a lot of us, what happens is with the distractions, with the wiles and schemes of the enemy, we get distracted, we get blinded, we get deceived by the wiles and the schemes of the enemy. And then what happens is we ourselves, then we become very attached to this world and then we become worldly. And we don't realize it. That God wants to do a work. He wants to do a preparation in our hearts for the things of heaven. But it starts here. But we ourselves, you know, when we get sidetracked and we're not all in to the things of the Lord, then we're looking at the realm that is the visual realm, the physical realm. And we do not Think about what heaven, when was the last time that you thought what heaven is going to be like, even as you going back into the book of Revelation and it shows us a glim picture of what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be a glorious place, streets of gold, buildings that they're just precious jewels. The glory of God is going to light up the whole place. So heaven is going to be a glorious place. And we dream about getting on a cruise, you know, weeks ahead of time. We get excited. People get pumped up and fired up about going on vacation. People get fired up and going if their birthday is coming, that they're going to be getting some gifts. But how come we don't have that same kind of fire for, the, for heaven and for the things of the kingdom of God? How come we don't get excited and our heart is not bursting out of our bodies when we think about what God is preparing for us? The things in heaven. Set your minds on things above. That's a requirement. Of a Christian. Not on things of earth. For you die. And for us. To have this heavenly perspective. Death needs to happen. There is death that needs to happen. For a person. That is heaven bound. We need to die to the flesh. We need to die to the things of the world. And just don't get me wrong. God has given us everything for our good pleasure. For us to enjoy. Because God, you know, it says in the word, if you put him first, he will give you the desires of your heart when you put him first in your life. If God is a priority in your life, then all these other things will be added unto you. He's going to give you the total package because God is good. But a lot of times, says God is willing to give, but we don't desire. We don't 
ask of him. We don't seek. And when Christ, who is our life, we say we're Christians. Is Christ your life? But even as Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that a reality in your life? As for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because heaven away, I'm free. I got this liberty. I've been set free. So I look for that time for a Christian when he dies, as the word says, to be absent from this body is to be in the presence of the creator of all things. So how come people, when it comes to death, they're so petrified of death? Is it faith? Is it lack of trust? I believe the only way that we can be heavenly good, the only way we can be heavenly good is if we live a life recklessly for Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. And we're going to get here in a little bit that even as we, the Lord brings tests within our lives to see if we have faith, if we trust him. He's going to bring challenges in our lives. He's going to bring us tribulations. He's going to bring us difficult times. That's guarantee. You can take that to the bank, Jack. I don't know if there's any Jacks here, but... But you can take that to the bank. So we're not going to be spared because God wants to see if we really trust him. What's our maturity? What's our mindset? We as Christians have to be heavenly minded to be earthly good. In order for us to be good here in, 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 on earth, we have to be heavenly minded. We have to be thinking about our creator. In order for us, we think about him and the things that are way, what happens? The result is we're going to bear good fruits from him here. Because now we're all in when it comes to heaven, the things of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now the natural result of that is that we are going to bear good fruits for him here on earth. Only if we have the mind that we're ready to go to heaven. In Matthew 3, verse 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is John the Baptist talking on the things that are going to uh, uh, take place uh, even as Jesus is going to come and ask him to baptize him. And, and Matthew writes, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, 
but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worth, worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's the promise that Jesus gave us even before he went into heaven. He said, way on the promise, way on the promise. I will not leave you orphans, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Why? It's the power of God manifested within our lives. When we have the Holy Spirit active, when we have the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, then we have the power to overcome this world's ways and schemes because we got the power of God manifested within our lives. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for here and they're for today. If you don't believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the here and now, for the here and now, you're nuts. Because all you have to do is step back and look and you see the mighty hand of God transforming a sinner like me to stand here. It's a miracle. How about your life? You're a miracle. God has done a miracle. You know, when you, the scales comes off your eyes and you, for the first time, see who Jesus Christ truly is. It's a miracle. Salvation is a miracle of God. Because it gets a person that is walking, that is being oppressed is being used by the enemy. Now God says, I'm going to redeem that person. And then you see the change in that person that you said, this blows me away. I remember this person, who he was. And if we could only get a video of people before they knew the Lord and the things they were up to, you're going to say, I can't believe the work that God has done in this person. Because he is able to do abundantly more than what we can ever think or imagine. Because God is powerful and he manifests himself strong through his Holy Spirit. So he's going to baptize us not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His windwing fan is in his hand. And he will truly... Clean out the trash floor and gather his weed unto the barn. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and separate the weed from the shaft. What does that mean, Jose? What it means is that the Lord is going to look into the people that are so-called Christian and says, Okay, this guy is really with me. I'm going to put him in the barn. But this guy, he's been playing games. He's been playing church. This guy is not in. And that's the reality of it. That's the reality. Because God is a judge God and he will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. People make fun. People mock Jesus. Beware because he's not going to come as the lamb of Judah. He's going to come as the lion 
for judgment the next time we see him. But the good news of those of us that have this heavenly mentality and we have been brought in, then there is no fear. In verse 13 it says, Then Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent this. John says, whoa, how can I do this thing? This is Jesus, the creator. And I'm going to baptize him? And John tried to prevent this, saying, I indeed, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had baptized him, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And when he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. How many of you guys have been baptized? Raise up your hands. If you have been baptized already. Okay, great. I notice there might be a few that are not baptized. To be baptized is symbolic of us dying to our old self and being raised up with Jesus. The water represents a watery grave. So when they ask you, what's the reason you're getting baptized? Uh, you don't say, I want to learn to, how to swim. That's not the correct answer. I want to be baptized because my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was baptized. And I want to do everything that Jesus did the same way. I want to be, leave my old self behind in the watery grave. And I want to be raised up with him. So it's symbolic what it's talking about us being raised up with Jesus. And it happens to be you know, when you get baptized, baptized is something that I truly believe is, to be baptized, it doesn't bring salvation. It's two separate things. Salvation is one thing, and to be baptized is in obedience, in response to the Lord Jesus Christ, because I want to do everything he has done. So even the thief on the cross Jesus turned to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. There wasn't a rainstorm that it washed him. We don't read that. So there was no rain. There was no tidal wave. There was nothing to baptize the thief. But as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, everything he does, I want to do it. 
It says in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, for us to be imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ, to imitate him on the way he behaved, on the way he acted, on the way he walked on this planet. We want to imitate him because we, he is our Savior and he is our, our God and we want to replicate. I remember when I was um, very young, my son was like around four or five years old. I was mowing the lawn, and then I turned around, and then my son, I had bought him a toy lawnmower. And I was, as I was mowing the lawn, I turned around, and I see my son behind me with a toy lawnmower mowing right after me. A son imitates everything that the father does. Even there at work, a lot of people, they tell me, man... I'm blown away. Your son is a replica of you. Doesn't our kids want to copy everything we do? Even say, I'll never be like my mother. I'll never be like my father. Uh-huh, wait till you get old. And then you, you send me a, a text saying, hey, it's true, Jose. Because we become like our mother and we become like our father, even though we don't want to do it. So why don't we... Uh, just turn and be like Jesus. So this restoration, it takes place even to baptism. Even as, I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but even in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, right before he was stoned, Stephen was a guy that was facing the music. He was ready to be stoned. By the Pharisees, by the religious leaders, and he had a heavenly perspective that he didn't move. There is a young Stephen there ready to be stoned. And, and, and you can read in, in Acts chapter 7, verses 47 through 60. I'm not going to read all those verses, but I'm going to just read a couple of them just to get the perspective. In verse 57, it says, And then he cried with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him in one accord. And they cast him out of the city to stone him. And, they, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, which later on he's going to become Paul. So Saul was leading this pack of people to stone Stephen. In verse 59 it says, And then, he, and then they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He, he didn't get violent. He didn't get, un, you know, unglued as they were beginning to stone him. The thing that he did is he went to know where the source is and he called on the name of the Lord. In verse 60 it says, And then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
That's what the Bible says. He fell asleep. It says that he didn't die. He fell asleep. Because at that instant, he was in the presence of God. All we have to do is, you know, even if you had a surgery that they give you, the, they're going to give you anesthesia, and they say, count from one to ten. One. <laughs> you don't go beyond one. And this is Stephen. As he gets stoned, he fell asleep because he was in the presence of the Lord. But he had that heavenly mentality. Uh, his crucial time to call on the name of the Lord. Verse 5. And this is where the reality of us being imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ and not be, you know, worldly man minded. In verse 5, therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So all of us, at one point, we have to make a proclamation we have to make a stand. It says, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And we have to call on the name of Jesus. And then when that happens, then this way of life, it gets transformed. But even within the church, even in the church, the reality is this, that there's people shacking up together. There's people Having sex before marriage, which that's fornication. There is people in adultery, breaking up different marriages, you know, that, that's sexual immorality. Uncleanness, that's perversions, passions, that's lusting. Jesus said, if you look and you laugh and you lust after somebody, you have committed sin already. Because it happens in the mind. And a lot of times what happens in the church, when we're not seeking the things of heaven, there's pollution within our minds. There are scars within our minds that need to be wiped clean. Because our sinful nature. I know that a lot of you guys are sitting here. And even now, some of you guys, there's weird thoughts going in your minds now. That you're saying, Lord, what is this junk coming from? That's the enemy. That's the enemy putting this junk in your mind. Evil desire. Homosexuality, bisexuality, bestiality. That's the world that we live in. People molesting little kids. Sexual perversion. 
covetousness, desiring other people's stuff, idolatry, worshiping, idolatry. I'm not an idolater. Okay, idolatry is not that you have a statue in your house, but what's, what thing are you worshiping? What thing are you devoting so much time in that now you don't have time for God? You have time for other things, but we don't have time for God. And, and those things, you know, they come in different assortment. Those things, they come in different ways, whether it's toys, you know, having a whole bunch of toys, that you're buying a whole bunch of toys and you're consuming your time. Instead of serving the Lord, playing with toys. And I'm talking about toys, it's not little kids' toys, but big boys' toys that they're really expensive. And ladies' toys that they're expensive and they're in the malls. How much time are you spending in the mall? And how much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you spending in waxing your car versus reading the Word of God? How much time do you spend playing sports and and watching sports, you know, that now you don't have time to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? There's people within their family that they're in the hospital, and you don't have time because you're watching a football game. It's inconvenience to visit somebody in the hospital. I had to examine myself. This, the Lord dealt with me already on this. The Lord gave me pow pow before coming here. I came here like this. The Holy Spirit is the one that got me up here. But I have to examine my own life. We have to truly examine our life because our conduct And our behavior and the things that we're doing, you know, does it point out people to Jesus? For example, let's talk about conduct and behavior. Is it cool on a wedding night? For example, Willie just got married. He's not here today. So Willie just got married. How about if me and Belkis would have shown up to Willie's wedding in our bathing suits? Hey, hi, guys. Don't picture that, please. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the right behavior to go to a wedding? How about going and getting on a plane? Pastor Zach just came, and a couple of the pastors came from taking a plane. How about is Pastor Zach gets on that plane, he gets to the plane, here is Johnny, I'm the pilot, I'm going to fly you guys back to Miami. People say, let me out of here. Because he's not a pilot. So his conduct has to be one, go to your seat, sit down, and behave. Or the flight attendants are going to leave you behind. How about driving here in Miami? I'm going to be late to church. Now you're going 40 miles over the speed limit. Now you see Lewis, Cow, or Manny. 
right behind you. So you pull over. Now, when they come to you, you were breaking the speed limit. You were driving recklessly. You're out of control, and you took a red light. Now, when they come to you, how are you, sir? And you go off on him. He hasn't done anything wrong. But our behavior is a proper. We're at fault. He hasn't done a thing. Don't try this at home. It could hurt you. How about a restaurant? You go to a restaurant, and now they bring you what you ordered that you didn't have an idea of what you were ordering. So now they bring it to you, and now you look at it and you say, are you nuts? Are you crazy? I'm not going to eat this junk. You better tell the chef that he doesn't know what he's doing. This I'm not going to eat. Take it back and get something else back. You're taking a huge chance <laughs> that your food is going to come back contaminated. <laughs> Proper behavior. Just to make light of it. But what happens in the church? Our behavior towards the Lord. Do we have the proper behavior? Are we pointing people to Jesus with the way we conduct ourselves and the way we are? Verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blaspheme, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have, been, since you have put off the old man with its deeds and you have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So when it comes to our conduct, I'm going to be transparent, as I'm very transparent. And I have said it many times, and some of you guys even experience, some people have experienced. I have an issue with anger, if you have not noticed that. But the thing that stops me, the things that I hold back, and my wife reminds me, the Holy Spirit is in her to tell me, she always tells me this line, remember you're a pastor. <laughs> Pastors are not supposed to pull out people out of the car and beat them up. No, 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 not the right behavior. But my flesh wants to rule. Anger. Do we lose our tops? Do we get angry real quick? A lot of us do. I'm one. Wrath. Malice. Blaspheme. It's funny. Um, you go to, to a park to play basketball. And you get with a, a, a couple of dudes. Hey, dude, you want to pick up a, have a pickup game? Yeah, let's go. You pick this, this, this. You start playing. Fool. Who is the worst, the first person that 
they, they get blasphemed. They call on the name of the Lord. They don't call Buddha. They don't call Mahama. They don't call none of those false gods. They call the true and living God. And even people, as they curse and they blaspheme the name of the Lord, it's always the name of Jesus because there is power in the name of Jesus. It's the name that is above every name. So that's the name that they blaspheme. Filthy language. Hopefully you guys as Christians, you don't stick around the cooler, you know, as the corporate people do for dirty jokes. I work, I work with a, a whole bunch of landscapers. And a lot of them, they come and they say, hey, have you heard this one? I say, I haven't and I don't want to hear it. Uh, or they come and say, hey, they, uh, look at this lady. I say, I'm married. I got a wife. I shouldn't be looking. So are you going to make a stand and cut them off on the spot? Because the, the thing is this. If you allow that to pass by, you're contributing because you're not making a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you going to be fearful, man? Are you going to allow people to blaspheme the name of Jesus? And when they blaspheme the name of Jesus, I say, hey, use the name of the fat boy. You saw another name. Don't use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in your face. But we have to make a stand. As Christians, some, sometime we cannot allow, continue to allow, you know, just the, the wiles and the scheme of the, the enemy go by in front of us without us doing anything. Because if, not, if we're not making a stand, are, are we secret agents? Are we scared? We're supposed to put off those things, not allow those things to take place. When I got safe, I told my family, don't bring booze in my house, no alcohol in my house. I told my family, people in my family, they still were drinking, but I told them, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Don't bring any alcohol here. So sometimes, if we're going to put off these things, we have to make a stand for it. Sometime. Matthew 23, 27, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear to be beautiful hourly, but inside you are full of dead man's bone and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear to be righteous to man, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So when we the Lord begins this remodeling process within our, within our lives, within our homes. You know, as the Lord wants to restore and just do a work in this temple, He's not only going to paint the outside for us to look good on the outside, but He's going to work not, not only on the outside, but He's going to start in the most important place of our house where it's not seen, 
The most important place of the house is the foundations and the footings, the structure of the building. And that's the area where it's not seen. When you look at a house, you don't see the foundation. But that house is standing because if that house is not built on the right foundation, that house is going to collapse. So this temple, this home, that God has begun a good work in my life, do I have a solid foundation to take the load that the Lord Jesus wants to bring? To be able to have this home remodel, the Lord takes away all this junk and then he puts in his goodness, his love, his grace, his, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So now he's rebuilding and doing a work in this house. But to be able to hold that ministry that the Lord is entrusting to me, I have to have the right foundation. And how's your foundation? When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, is it set on solid ground? Or it says, set on sandy ground. On sandy ground that when you are out there in the world, then the sands shift and you shift into worldliness. And you act like the world. No. When this foundation is made correctly and that foundation is solid in Jesus Christ, nothing is going to move it. Nothing. Verse 12, therefore, as elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies, this is the foundation, mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Now, verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. As elect of God, as a temple that God is building, Do we, are we, do we have tender mercies? The, the Lord, as soon as I got saved, I had a hard heart. He gave me a soft heart. I weep like a little girl. And that's because the Lord softened my heart. One time I remember in 67, um, I had just come back from Africa. And my, my world was rocked completely. And as pastor has asked me to come and share, the Holy Spirit hit me. And I think I was like 15 minutes that I was weeping and I couldn't stop weeping. And I'm ready to weep now. <laughs> but that's the supernatural work of God in a hard heart. He has softened my heart. To be able to receive, to be able to embrace that love and just have that kind of love, that agape love that Jesus has. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have that agape love flowing from my life. 
It's required. It's not a, you know, a choice, multiple choice. I want it. I don't want it. No, we need to have it. Bearing with one another. Do you bear with God's people? And I was sharing with the young adults. If we're here supposed to be a family. And there is one body. It's one family. How come there's so much strife. So much jealousy. So much junk going around. Even in the church. In the house of God. If somebody wronged you. If somebody did something or told you something that you didn't take it well, go and cool off. Don't come to that person in anger. But ask God to fill you with that love and come and tell that person, hey, brother, that really hurt me. That hurt. And just deal with it. But a lot of times what we want is we rather have unforgiveness in our hearts. We rather just lay it under the carpet and not deal with it. And then every time we see that brother or sister coming, we turn and we go the other way. Do you think in the house of God, in the family of God, God is well pleased with that kind of behavior? Forgiving one another. If there is unforgiveness in your hearts, your hair, your prayers, not your hairs, by your prayers, <laughs> your prayers are going to be hindered. Family members, unforgiveness, here, the family, issues, you got to forgive them. You got to get over it. You, you got to say, Lord, help me to find forgiveness for my brother or my sister. Because there is no other choice. Because if there is a complaint, another, even as Christ forgave you and Jesus has forgiven me, who am I not to forgive somebody else? If I'm so-called an imitator of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian. I'm different. I'm not like everybody else. And above all, as the, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be full of his love because love covers a multitude of sins love God is a God of love it's all about love as a pastor as pastors if we don't have a love for the flock and we don't have a love for we messed up we're, we're off there's something wrong because we are going to be measured on how much love is in our hearts. In Matthew 6, 14, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. In Mark 11, 25, and 26, it says, And whatever you stand in praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive them, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That's, 
You want to be forgiven by God of your sins? You got to learn to forgive others too. Verse 15 to wrap it up. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do we have peace ruling in our hearts? Even when the worst of the worst things come in our lives, we're supposed to be at peace, knowing that God allowed it for a reason. And not that for us to put up our hands and challenge God, but the thing is we have to come and say, Lord, if, it's, if you want, and it's according to your will, let me know what I'm supposed to do in these circumstances, in this situation, that it doesn't make sense. I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. Let your will be done. And that's a, 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 a step of submission to God. Are you willing to submit God to God when life doesn't make sense? Or you want to challenge God when things don't go the way you want. You get a bad report with your health. Are you going to trust God? You say, God, why me? The peace of God may rule in our hearts. And when it comes... For us to the word, that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly. Because the riches of God is wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. God doesn't care about money. When it talks about the richness of God's kingdom, everything is in the spiritual realm. It's not in the material realm. So Solomon, being the richest man, what did he ask? For more money? No. He asked, Lord, give me wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God delivered, you know, he entrusted more to him, more of the earthly package. But for us as Christians, is wisdom, knowledge, and discernment agents that are moving in our lives to help us to have this conduct that is worthy of the Lord. For us, we have to have godly wisdom, godly knowledge, and godly discernment as we make decisions within our lives to make sure that those decisions are well-pleasing with God, not with us. So we have to inquire of the Lord. And even as uh, Pastor Zach is going uh, through Samuel, David inquired of the Lord. Every time he was going to go into battle, he inquired of the Lord. Lord, what are you doing? Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? 
And we ourselves, as Christians, are we inquiring of the Lord as we want to have wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, all these elements to be moving within our lives? The question is this. Are you thinking about heaven? Has the Lord restored your life? That he has begun this new work. And you have put on the old self. And now you're growing. You're maturing in the things of the spirit. You're growing in the spirit. I, been, I gave my heart to the Lord in 92. So it's going on 30 years. I cannot act the same way one week after I was saved than I am now. There is a process of maturity, and that process of maturity comes when the Lord starts restoring this temple, this life, as he starts taking down this area that is weak and making it new the way that he gets glorified too. Now, as he begins to work in these rooms of our lives, he starts this processing. And then at the end of this process, right before we get to heaven, the Lord has a masterpiece, a work of art. For we are his masterpiece. We are his poema. That's you. Because Jesus loves you so much. So he who has begun a good work in you, which you are a piece of work. <laughs> but the best thing is God is not done. There is more work to be done in this temple. So let's pray. I ask the worship band to come on up. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father in heaven. As we come before you, even now, Lord God, as we desire, Lord Jesus, for you to finish this restoration process within our lives, I pray, Lord, that you will help us, oh Lord, by the power of your precious Holy Spirit to be able to finish this race, to be able to finish this life in such a way that you will be honored and you will be glorified. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring conviction, heavy conviction in our hearts, in areas where we're weak, in areas where we are practicing sin. And it says in the word that those that practice sin will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So help us, O oh Lord, as your children. We want to call out on your name. For you to finish this work in this temple in the way that you can only do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there's people here, even today, that need to get right with God. Because the word says that today is the day of salvation. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Even as we go home, we're not guaranteed that we're going to make it home. But the reality is that it's your heart soft enough to call on the name of Jesus. It's all about the condition of the heart. 
There is a battle raging on for the souls of those that are going to be saved. Jesus is calling you and says, come home to me. And the enemy is saying, no, no, stay here. You got this whole thing put together. You don't need to come to Jesus. So ultimately, for us, we have to make this proclamation. We have to make this call ourselves. Jesus is calling you. Jesus is calling you unto repentance. You need to get right before you can see heaven. Are you willing to make a stand for Jesus today? Because today is the right time to be heaven bound, to get ready to go to heaven. Is anybody here that has never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? Raise up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody here has never, God bless you. Anybody else has never given their hearts to Jesus publicly with no shame? Anyone else wants to settle the score and say, Jesus, come into my heart. I surrender my heart. I surrender my life. I surrender all to you. Is anyone else who wants to give their hearts to Jesus today? Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. And even now, there's some of you that you're not right with God. You've been playing church. You've been doing your thing. But now is when the Lord is going to separate the weed from the shaft. He's going to separate those that are truly all in for Jesus and those that are playing game. And maybe I don't know what's happening in your life. But today you need to make a stand that says, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of playing games with God. I want it. Be all in. I want it just Jesus to finish this work that he has begun. But there is something keeping you back from being all in. If that's you, raise up your hand. I also want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you guys. Because you guys have the long to get right with Jesus. And that's what the Lord wants. People They're just recklessly in love with him. So if that's you, just raise up your hand and we'll pray. And Jesus sees you where you're at. He wants to do business in your life. Because he wants to wipe that slate clean as far as the east is to the west. It's all up to you to say, here I am. As Samuel said. Here I am. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. All right. For that person to raise up their hand for the very first time, just repeat the simple prayer in the quietness of your heart. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. From this day on, I want to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. 
Forgive me, Lord, my many sins. For I want to follow you. No turning back. No turning back. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy that has fallen upon me today. For those of you that need to get right, just pray in the quietness of your own heart, and God hears you. Lord God, I've been playing games, and I want to be all in. I want to be serious for you. I want heaven. I want to be raised with Christ Jesus. I want to live my life in a way that you get glorified. So thank you so much for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. God's people said, stand up and let's worship. If you need prayer, come up to the front and pray with a pastor.